A shaky finish, but the Celtics get their revenge on the Clippers, winning 116-110. to Some solid performances all round outside of the third quarter. All of that next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Round drives. That's not the first time we've seen a superstar in green and white sacrifice the body. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Jackson is here. Some know him as Rickman Lives. Jackson, how you doing, sir? Welcome back. Some, the weirdo community. Um, <laughs> I'm well, I'm well, man. I feel like we're out of the madness of Christmas now, so <clears throat> pardon me. Yeah, so uh, just enjoying the time off, really, and enjoying Celtics wins, four of them in a row, in fact. Yeah, four in a row. <laughs> Amazing. Starting to recalibrate myself, Jackson, in terms of just getting back into the swing of things after Christmas and emotionally propped up from these many Celtics wins that we've gotten during that stretch. Sweet, sweet revenge in the form of a win against the Clippers today, in fact, or last night in US time. The Jays, they had 29 each. Time Lord is on the up. Marcus Smart was incredible. Jackson, what are your initial takeaways from this one? Didn't even mention my player of the game, Derek White, but I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I say player of the game, that's probably generous, but yeah, I mean, that just says it all, right? So many good performances to go around. Um, And you're right, there was an element of revenge, at least, you know, I was thinking that's what some of the players might be armed with, particularly um, JB and JT, you know, I think there was some not quite serious talk about like, oh yeah, they're supposedly the best duo in the league. And then- Mm -hmm. A healthy Kawhi Leonard and healthy Paul George, you know, kind of shut that down. So I thought that was a little unfair. So tonight was a good, a good opportunity to sort of set that right. And I think they outplayed them for, for the most part. I thought PG and Kawhi were great for stretches, but um, I thought they passed that test um, with flying colors and just the rest of the team just all contributing so well in, in key moments too. So there's nothing to complain about this at all. Maybe, maybe some, maybe the third quarter was a, a bit dodgy, and and right at the end we did mm-hmm. our best to. Make it a nail biter, but um, just all around fantastic performances. Was there anyone in particular that stood out to you or anything that you thought was key? Yeah. So the Jays, like obviously 29 points each, nearly got to that 30 point each mark where I think we're 16 and one. We just don't lose once we hit that yeah. milestone. Once the Jays hit that, that 30 was a, point that each was a milestone. spiritual 30 and 30, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Round it up, right? Yeah. But Jalen Brown is eight threes and Tatum is four three throws. So that's a, that's a 30. For, I'm counting that a 30 30 in my opinion. Yeah. Put it or in the book. Worth. Mark it yeah. down. But for me, man, Marcus Smart, like, didn't you think right from the get-go, he oh, yeah. just like had his imprint on this game? Uh, and you, you think about, uh, so the Celtics, they started off 0 for 6, very cold, very sluggish start, very, very slow. And then they started to push the pace. And I say they, but it really was essentially Marcus Smart, just like getting out in transition off makes, off misses. And you found Jalen Brown early on sort of a, a backdoor cut in transition and then it was just all systems go from there. And it just really felt like, I think Spoonie called Marcus Smart the maestro in the last pod that you guys did on Christmas Day. And yes. he was conducting the orchestra today. And if it weren't for him, I don't think that we would have found ourselves early on in the game and, and, and managed to sort of like, you know, take the steering wheel. And I'm, I'm, I'm obviously veering away from the conductor analogy here, Jackson, but you get what I'm saying, right? Marcus Smart just, um, he really put his mark on this one. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely Smart was the standout player um, early on. Yeah, that pass that he found uh, Jalen cutting under the basket for a dunk. I think that was his first points. And then the I think the cross court sort of pass to Tatum for an open dunk. Like those are just things of beauty. 
And, you know, he, he did that many, many more times. And I think, I think it was really key. There was a lot of pressure on him to deliver today. That was a great pass through to Derek White there um, with Brogdon being out because, you know, if, if he would found himself in foul trouble or he wasn't able to play, then that guard rotation becomes extremely, extremely thin. Like we saw Peyton Pritchard get, I think, like barely six sort of almost charitable minutes. Um, and the ball handling duty was pretty much a split between himself and uh, Marcus Smart, that isn't Derek White. So mm-hmm. um, it was vital that he had a, a good game for the sake of, um, you know, that guard rotation um, holding up against the Clippers. And yeah, he just did everything right today, man. It was a fantastic looking stat line. I think, what was it, like 17 points, nine assists, three, no, two steals and a block. And that block was on Zubach, by the way, who is like much taller than him, but that's that's nothing new. So yeah, man, maestro performance from, from Marcus Smart without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And and zooming out a little bit, like you mentioned Zubats, I thought the Celtics, they did initially have trouble defending Zubac. Uh mm. Really, Zubac and anyone in the pick and roll with Zubats as, as the role man. And, but they did, a, the Celtics, that is, did a really good job of nullifying that attack Quickly and particularly Marcus Smart switching and then denying Zubats on the catch. Or if Zubats did get the ball, Smart did a really good job of forcing him into a bad shot or a double coming late. With Smart still as the primary defender, forcing Zubats into you know some form of a bad decision and and not a score for the Clippers. Um, there's a lot of collective swarming on the, on the catch there for Zubats. I thought that Al Horford could have done a better job denying the, the sort of post-entry passes for Zubats. And, and overly, uh, obviously, I'm <laughs> struggling to say his name. Zubats. Am I, am I saying that right? Zubats. Zubats. Thank, yeah, thank we, you. We, we can go with that. Well, it's not going to It's not quite. <laughs> I, I re- reversed it in my head like 10 times before we got started here. Yeah, I thought Al <laughs> Hoffman could have done a better job overall um, defending him. But Smart was just relishing in those switches, not to, to rant on about Marcus Smart too much. But... Um, I really thought that he forced the Clippers to go away from Zubats um, you know, quite early, and we didn't see a lot of him down the stretch in the fourth quarter there. So while initially that was maybe the standout action for the Clippers, I thought the Celtics did a really good job in response to that and forcing them to go to go elsewhere. What did you think about Kawhi and PG in this one, the sort of the, the elder version of the Jays in those two... Uh, dynamic wings, but sort of they've been around for a little bit longer. And I didn't think they were as dynamic as our Jays in this particular game, Jackson. Yeah, you kind of, because of the NBA is just so rich with talent and, you know, these guys haven't been anywhere near, you know, MVP or or all NBA first teams for, for years now. But like, it, it was not that long ago where these guys were like considered probably like top, top five, top 10 players. And, you know, on, on days like this, they honestly looked like they still could be because it felt to me like Kawhi Leonard never missed a shot. It says that he missed, I think, like six of them. I, I don't remember any of those. Um, that must have been <laughs> like steals that got put down to. But uh-huh. um, no, it was fantastic. Like I said, at, at the top, like super important they bounce back against this is Tatum and Brown against Paul George and uh, Kawhi Leonard, known sort of as like the ultimate you know duo of, um, of this era. But um, yeah, I thought Leonard just... He's got that that cyborg energy where it just doesn't matter how much defense you play on him. I think like there was one possession where Grant was playing great defense on him, and he just sort of like computer uh, nothing else to do but shoot a three, and he, and it just goes in like effortlessly. So he was terrifying. Um, Paul George, I think what 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 was what was his final numbers here? I'm just looking at it. He had 24 points, 
six assists, two steals. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really remember anything amazing that Paul George did outside of, you know, hit some some pretty, you know, tough shots. Um, but those two together are, are dynamite, man. So, you know, this is an important win, um, not just for, you know, the standings, but, you know, just to prove yourself against players of this caliber. Yeah, an ugly win for sure, right? And particularly how the, the third quarter, like you mentioned there, Jackson, and just how the game ended up. I think the Celtics were up 10 with three minutes to go. And really just pissed down their leg there for the the final few minutes of this game. We were very, very lucky uh, and very in part thanks to a clutch Derek White block on Paul George to to save this game. And then a, I guess a game ceiling mm. block to end by Al Horford as well. But it's amazing how mirrored these two teams are with those two dynamic wings, those two dynamic two-way wings, and then just the way that the team is constructed around them. A, a lot of the praise of the Celtics this season has been that it's the Jays and then like three other dudes on the court who can kind mm. of do a little bit of everything for the most part. And there are exceptions like Sam Hauser and, and to some degree Grant Williams, but the Clippers really embody that as well. So it's always, and if you think back the last sort of five years in the, in the sort of the era of the Jays, the matchup between the Celtics and the Clippers has always been an exciting game. And unfortunately, yeah. for, for the health of my cardiovascular system, this was another game that came down to, you know, the final minute or so. Um, but they're always really exciting games. And I think a lot of that just comes down to how much of a mirror matchup this is between both teams. Yeah, even when the personnel was different, we always just played each other very similar and um, it's been very, you know, close, probably save the last game. And I think the game we played in a TD last year, I think, I don't know how I remember it because it was one of the worst, most boring games I've ever seen. I think it was like 92 to 81 or something that we lost. It was like right at the tail end before we, we kind of switched things around. So, um, yeah, but nothing of, of fond and, you know, excruciating memories in the same breath of playing um, the Clippers. And yeah, you look at their team, you look at the way they're constructed, you know, lengthy wings who can defend and shoot. Uh, they tend to switch a lot of things on defense. So yeah, it's almost like that was the prototype for what the Celtics were were going for. We just happened to be, you know, I think I think it's fair to say personnel-wise and, you know, record-wise, you know, we're, 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 we're leaving them in the dust to an extent. But I mean, they're going to be there at the end of the year, um, you know, in the West playoff picture and not beyond the realms of possibility we could see them again in the finals, which, you know, would make for great viewing, um, but a torturous experience overall. But um, yeah, that's why they're very similar in that respect. Yeah, I think this stat that I've got here is right. The Celtics shot five of 20 from three in the first half and were up by 11 against, like you said, Jackson, a, a very good, mm. very talented uh, Western Conference team who are poised to make a, a deep run this year. The Celtics shot 28% from three for the game. Clippers shot 38% and yet the Celtics win. So you know, That's wild. I, I guess a positive takeaway from that, obviously, the, the three is not falling is problematic because it's such a huge part of the Celtics offense. But the fact that we're able to find ways to win without hitting these shots from beyond the arc at that level, we are getting back to ourselves, the Royal We, and that we're continuing to be that find a way to win Celtics squad beyond yeah. just like hitting a S load of threes and winning the game that way. Um, breaking the, the, I guess, the game down in quarters, which, you, you know, you can do for literally all basketball games at the NBA level. I had it written out as this. It was a Marcus Smart first quarter. It was a Jason Tatum second quarter. He had that nice run uh, in the second quarter. And we've got some clips that we can run uh, from that now while we, we talk about the rest. The, the third quarter, I've written down, it's a vomit. A vomit third quarter. Smart first, Tatum second, <laughs> yeah. vomit third quarter. Seven of the 11 turnovers the Celtics were committed in that third quarter. They just came out lackluster. It seemed like they had 
I don't know, like they, they felt too comfortable coming out of halftime and thought that they had this one in the bag. Like I said, not shooting well from three and yet being up so much. They came out incredibly lackluster. The Clippers jumped on them early in the third. And from that point onwards, the game was, was quite close until the end. What did you see from the Celtics there, Jackson, in terms of how they came out of the third and then how they gradually responded and, and, and pulled out a win? I thought a lot of what the third quarter was about was that the Clippers were just hitting like a lot of shots. Like you don't want to... You don't want to give the defense a pass and you don't want to like chalk it down to like, you know, shooter's luck or whatever. But I'm pretty sure they were like 7 of 11 or like 7 of 12 towards the end of the third quarter. Um, and so, you know, we were quite lucky in that respect that we had, you know, an 11, 12 point buffer um, and we weren't playing that excruciating game of catch up of like three possessions, you know, in the in the clutch because who knows how that would have um, how that would have gone. But um, look, just getting back to a, a steady diet of, you know, just kind of trusting what they're doing with the three ball, but also, um, you know, looking for looks inside. I thought Robert Williams had a lot to do with us sort of like clicking into gear. I think they, I can't remember what stage of the third quarter they they deployed that that lineup, but it felt like it just steadied things a lot more. You know, Jalen Brown was getting to the rim. I think he had an N1 at one stage as well too. And, you know, so I think Time Lord's introduction in that respect, I could be getting this well wrong, by the way. I just remember like that lineup being in. I think it was in the third quarter, and I felt like that's when we started to get a handle on things a bit better. Yeah, there were stretches of the uh, like the OG starting lineup from last year, so double big, Al mm. Horford, Rob Williams, the Jays, Marcus Smart, and you know, like you have to take this data, these stats with a grain of salt because we're working Time Lord back into things, and obviously his conditioning, everything is still ramping back up. I think mm. prior to this game, they had a minus sixty three net rating in the five or so games since Time Lord has returned. But, you know, that didn't bear out in this particular game. I thought the minutes were really strong with those five on the court. And then sub out Al, Al Horford for Grant Williams, particularly in the previous game against the Rockets, and I think somewhat in the Bucks game as well. Time Lord, Grant, the Jays, Marcus Smart, which is, I guess, the, the starting lineup of the future, really strong as well. But like, how good is it to have Rob Williams back, man? Like, he is so, so dynamic, good. suddenly... This prowess on the offensive boards. I think Time Lord had just six rebounds in this game. Four of them were offensive. All tip backs, all leading to wide open threes or really advantageous offensive positions, just be- um, or um, possessions rather, just because of how off guard you're catching the opposing defense. Time Lord, he just fills all the gaps. It feels like not just from mm. the offensive rebounding perspective, but bringing energy and. Um, a certain something, I suppose, that the, the team has been missing to date. Yeah, six rebounds doesn't feel right. I mean, I know that's what it says for me there as well too. But mm-hmm. it just feels like he gets his hand on everything, and there's like he's he's getting us so many second chance um, possessions, which you know we were we were lacking, you know, before uh, he was he was healthy. I, I didn't think he would come back. I mean, and let's be fair, it has taken him a few games to get up to speed. Uh, up to speed, you know, hence that net rating that you mentioned. Um, earlier, but I just, I don't know what I was expecting, but I just didn't expect to see him back to like this kind of level of this kind of contribution that's so noticeable to the team, like as quickly as he has, like I trying to temper my expectations saying, yeah, when he comes back, you know, oh, that's, that'll be the only guy in there that we don't have to, you know, to shoot the, the three, what's that going to do to, you know, the spacing and everything like that. And, you know, the dude just makes the right pass most of the time. So when he's, he's in that situation, it's brilliant. When he's down low fighting for offensive rebounds or like looking for lobs or just you know, getting, you know, dump offs at the last minute from, you know, Tatum, White, et cetera, that's awesome. Like it's just, it's, it's, we're spoiled to have 
this dude back playing uh, for us at this time of the year. Considering, you know, he's, he's had like the start of the year off, albeit recovering. I think that's going to pay dividends if he can stay healthy again. <laughs> Keep caveating um, Time Lord stuff because of the injury record. But <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think you know what I'm getting at, man. Those two months or th- two and a bit months that he's had off not playing is probably going to play dividends towards the end of the season. Yeah, abs- I have to admit, and I wasn't particularly vocal about this because of how unpopular an opinion it was. I was a little bit worried that Time Lord coming back might have been to some detriment to the offense just in- I thought that too, yeah. Yeah, minimizing that, that spacing that you talked about. But vertical spacing, which as an unathletic white 35-year-old, it's difficult to really we, imagine what vertical spacing vertical is. Spacing there. Yeah, it really is. It's truly difficult to sort of just imagine what it is and what it means. Um, And yet it's a thing. And he just he he has such gravity on the court at all times that he really does allow particularly Tatum, Smart as well, really everybody um, to operate at such a higher level and then to minimize their mistakes, which really, you know, we, we can look at through the lens of his offensive rebounds and the second chance points that he creates. The Celtics, uh, they won. I don't know the exact stat here. They definitely won the second chance points uh, battle against the Clippers today. He just, yeah, he just fills in all the gaps. And then the guys clearly love playing with him so much that I, I feel like, again, there's no stat to quantify this. They clearly get a boost from him being on the court. He played mm. 21 minutes in this game, and yet he just felt everywhere all at once, all of the time, <laughs> to, to quote yeah. the title of a recent movie. He just, yeah, like he's just so impactful in such little time. Are you comfortable, Jackson, with like maintaining sort of like sub 28 minutes per game to maintain his health a la Malcolm Brogdon leading up to the postseason? Or would you prefer a full Time Lord integration so that he's like fully part of this well-oiled machine as the playoffs kick off in a few months? Uh, no, nah, for now, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked with how... He's being integrated. Um, you know, he that, that, he only needs 20, 18 minutes, et cetera, to be effective. Um, I can't remember the last time he missed a shot. I think he was perfect shooting in the game before. It was four or four today and four or four from the line. Um, that's awesome. Um, just another thing going back quickly, he had two of the worst turnovers I've ever seen from him and it didn't like really bother me in the slightest. The first one did because they hit that ridiculous three at the very end, but that the second one where he sort of dumped it off, he should have just put it on the floor and just like absolutely dunked over whoever's um, guarding yeah. him, but he dumps it off and it just goes out and you just you kind of tear your hair out a little bit. But like that was from a steal that he like leapt forward and just like kind of swallowed up and ran forward with. So like even like even despite those errors and those mistakes um, that he makes, no doubt on the defensive end too with rotations and whatnot, um, you got to have to live with that. But um, no, keep him in as keep him in his role as he is until the time comes where he does need to play more, which is going to be the playoffs. And I think you saw how well he was clicking with that starting five lineup when he was in today. So I don't think Derek White loses that role moving forward. At least, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they will, but I don't see him dropping out of it anytime soon. So having him come off the bench and in the minutes that he's had that he's having, like I'd say, it's not broke. Don't fix that because that's that works. <laughs> Yeah. What about that high post spin-off Paul George move that he had to get to the hoop? He almost finished the attempt yeah. there, but got to the free throw line. It was four of four from the field, four of four from the free throw line as well. 
so very efficient. And I'm monitoring that like obsessively because he's on my dynasty fantasy team. Very glad to have him back in that sense as yeah. well. <laughs> that was crazy. I'd like to see more of that. I didn't know that he had that in him even prior to the injury to sort of spin off and, and finish there. But, mm. you know, it's, it's a sign of his high basketball IQ that he obviously, you know, had the ball in that high post position, assessed the situation around him, decided that that move at that point in time was the, the best most efficient, best chance at a bucket, or at least creating an advantage, and then execute it. That's great. He's intelligent. He's athletic. The guys love him. We clearly love him as well. I have very few criticisms of the man at this point yeah. in time, other than I wish that he was more durable. Yeah. There was one point, do you remember he like jumped on, like flopped onto the ground to like get a ball and throw it back up and just bounced up like it was nothing else, but like I'm pretty sure you, anyone else watching, probably yes. would have just- Skipped just for a second, but like, I know exactly the moment you're talking about. Yeah, yes. yeah, <laughs> they stand out because there's, there's so much at stake um, on those knees. But uh, no, he like doesn't look particularly hobbled. To sure, he looks a little bit rusty, and you know he's still getting you know back into game shape. But no, he looks he looks spry. So thankful. absolutely, yeah. the Delta Serpent in the comments here saying you've got to keep Rob healthy, whatever it takes. Twenty minutes a game is fine till the playoffs. Twenty minutes. I don't know if we're going to get by on twenty minutes. I don't have Al on our run sheet today which is a good and a bad thing. He's not there because he wasn't particularly bad. He's also not on our run sheet for tonight because he also wasn't particularly good. Uh, mm. If we can keep him in that sort of narrow tunnel of things, I think we need like 25 minutes or so a game from Rob or, or at least decent performances from Cornet and, and Grant Williams, which we'll get to a little bit later. And before we get to those individual performances, Jackson, one other standout element of the game from a macro perspective was the double teaming. On either side, what was your take mm. on the disparity between the Celtics double teaming on Kawhi and the Clippers double teaming on Tatum? Like, did you notice any key differences between the two strategies there? Um, I'm blanking out on the Kawhi instances. It didn't seem to affect him, you know, that much. I don't remember him turning it over a lot. I remember us hassling, hassling Paul George quite a bit. I think Grant got a really good turnover that ended up being traveling when they were trapping him there. But yeah. I mean, to the question that you asked, I noticed like it noticed very, very um, acutely with Tatum um, because my mate had money on him to score 30 <laughs> points or more with Brown scoring 25 points or more and the Celtics winning. So he was on 28 points or 27 points for like ages and just <laughs> wouldn't get a shot off because he'd just keep getting players off his face. So I was very, very aware of that. Um, but I mean, every pass seemed to be the right one. You know, there was plenty of, Plenty of, plenty of times where he would move the ball on and that would start, you know, a bunch of passes and movement around that would generate an open shot. Couldn't give you an example, but I remember it happening a couple of times before. But, you know, I think it was only about a year ago that we were, maybe even sooner than that, we were talking about, you know, how is Tatum going to deal with these these double teams when he's, when he's so hot and he's shooting so well? And we all agreed that it was something that he needs to develop. Well, I mean, I think he's probably developed it about as well as he can. By now, like he may not have had like you know great assist numbers. What did he finish with? Just one today. Like he mm -hmm. was well, well better a playmaker than two assists um, represents yeah. there. I mean, don't you think so? Yeah, like he he moved the ball. Like I, I thought that he navigated almost all of the double teams that were sent at him really, really well. And then they sort of resulted in extra passes, so he wasn't credited with a ton of assists. One, like you said, but I didn't think that Kawhi, who obviously has a lot more tenure and experience in the NBA, I didn't think that he was notably better at navigating those double teams than Tatum. I thought that was sort of equal. Where I thought the disparity was, was that the timing 
of the double teams that the Celtics were sending at Kawhi and sometimes Paul George were way more deadly and way more uh, forcing of mistakes and errors and, and turnovers and creating advantages for the Celtics. Whereas I just felt like we weren't as bothered by the double teams that the Clippers were sending at us. Whether that's because of more poise on our part, the Royal We again, the Celtics, or whether it was just going through the motions for the Clippers, like, okay, he's here. This is the directive. He's got the ball. Let's double team him. Let's not really think mm. about how we can be the most disruptive in our double teams. Yeah, they just they didn't seem as bothersome as as ours. And, and most notably, you know, one of the final possessions, and I want to get to Derek White in a second, the Clippers, you know, they were isolating Derek White a lot and credit to, to Derek White. He made a few very solid and very important defensive plays in this game. The Clippers were targeting him significantly, particularly in the second half. And I thought exposing Derek White's sort of defensive weaknesses to some degree. One of the last plays of the game, uh, I can't remember who the ball handler was for the Clippers, but they came up um, point of attack, you know, right at the top of the three-point line. Derek White was defending and Marcus Smart just just delayed his help a little bit, came over and helped Derek White just as he was about to be attacked and forced the turnover, which resulted in a smart steal, transition, fast break, bucket. Marcus Smart finishes uh, an uncontested layup at the other end. And that was basically the game at that point. Side note, Smart grabbing at his hip a little bit after that play, a little Mm -hmm. bit terrifying, but it was just a good example of the timing of the doubles that we were sending and how many more advantages and how, more, how much more disruptive that was in favor of the Celtics. Yeah. I, I just think as a, on a whole, the defense today, I feel like we say this quite a lot. I think this is the best defensive performance we've had of the year or our defense hasn't looked better. I genuinely felt that defense looked, you know, like almost back to what it was looking like last season. I think the Clippers had, sure. what, 15 points with three minutes left to go in the first? Like, regardless, they ended up with only one behind us. But, you know, mm-hmm. we were just forcing turnovers. You know, we were executing. And like you said, the timings of those of those double teams that we were sending were being a lot more, were a lot more effective. And we seemed to like just be better at executing, um, executing it than they did. So uh, yeah, the defense today just was, was excellent on a whole, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. A couple more macro stats, I suppose, before we get to the individual performances. 60th win, I believe, or the Celtics have just achieved 60 wins in in a calendar year, which is Mm. incredible. And, not unprecedented, but it's the first time that's happened in a while, I assume. And then per cleaning the glass, the Clippers shot 63% at the rim in this game, which is low. That's in the 36th percentile league-wide this mm. season. Uh, comparatively, the Celtics shot 84% at the rim, which is within the 94th percentile. And uh, 54-42 points in the paint in favor of the Celtics. So... Time Lord back again, like we haven't highlighted anything in particular from Al Horford, but clearly he's involved in uh, you know us being on the better side of those statistics. Overall, shaky ending to the game, shaky third quarter, but overall great performance from the Celtics. Um, as far as individual performances, Jackson, should we talk a little bit more about Derek White? Because he was, you know, we talked about him being Please. attacked, being targeted a little bit in this game by the Clippers, but overall... He was very important and maybe the, the swing element to this game. Like if the Clippers had their own Derek White and we didn't, the Clippers probably win this game. What did you see from Derek White in this one? Yeah, um, everything that was so good about his play prior to the little slump that he went through and it, it, everything he's done since since getting that haircut, since making himself a little bit more aerodynamic, 
has just played um, just played great dividends. Like this play here, I love how he blocks John Wall and then throws the ball down on him while yeah. he's on the ground to win another possession. Crazy um, smart. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just great. Um, his shooting, um, particularly like when he goes to the rim, I find he's always finishing through contact. Like he's getting a lot of and ones to go down. Got a super important one uh, late in the game here, um, and you know it's just he's coming up in the clutch. I mean, I can't remember the game, but it was a little bit early this year that I felt like he was hitting you know, big clutch buckets, you know, right at the ends. And it felt like that three that he hit that he hit today and the M1 um, was important as well. So, yeah, I think if we get Derek White going through the slump in this game, um, but as you said, um, it would just be, you know, almost not as worse than not having him, basic is what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I get you. Yeah, so <laughs> he was super valuable. He was very, very important this evening. Yeah, we're live, so we can't edit anything out of this puzzle. We're just going to oh, go you, with the flow. four people watching me. I love you all. I'm sure you'll forgive me. <laughs> yeah, and, and we've got a few people in the stream here. So, you know, if you're watching, let us know your thoughts on any of the, the topics that we're discussing. We'll, we'll do our best to include you in the show. Derek White, 15 points, 6 of 8 shooting, 50% from 3, so 2 of 4 overall, starting to find that shot a little bit, and that just comes with the confidence that he's regaining, and you can see it as he's letting the ball fly, particularly on those makes. And then two uh, amazing blocks, one very clutch in the game as well. Yeah, such a good sequence uh, late in the fourth that you mentioned, Jackson. He had that and one where he drove on Kawhi, not like uh, something that we would encourage anyone attacking Kawhi Leonard uh, on offense, but the shot clock was low and he had no choice. Got that and one and a rare showing of emotion from Derek White as well, like sort of screaming mm. and one as he finished that play, which is really cool. And then I think the very next play, another drive, kicks to Grant Williams, three-pointer. And at that point, I don't want to say that, you know the game was decided because it was so shaky right up to the end but you know given that that great williams three and the shot created by Derek white's penetration really helped very next play smart comes to double and help Derek white and the steal a play we talked about a second ago it's results in an open layup and a 10 point lead uh and then later Derek white that block we showed the clip a second ago if you're watching on youtube um prevents what would have made it a one-point game uh paul george i believe um Derek White comes off the weak side to help and, and, and gets that block. Uh, Derek White, haircut, amazing. He's been amazing since <laughs> the haircut. And speaking of a well-groomed D, we have a very quick message from our sponsors. First of the Floor is proudly sponsored by Manscaped. It's never too early to play holiday music, and it's never too early to start thinking about gifts. Whether it's for a friend or the friends in your pants, you can make this a season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor and use the Lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in Manscaped's top-of-the-line shower products to have the people thinking, all the one for Christmas is you. Santa cares about his sack and so should you. Look nice when you get naughty by going to manscaped.com and use the code FIRST18 for free shipping and 20% off. That's the code FIRST18 for free shipping and 20% off. It's important to find a grooming routine. And for me, that's thanks to Manscaped. As an aging gentleman, I can keep my shoulders and back looking bare, giving me the confidence to wear that Marcus Smart jersey to the beach this Australian summer. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. It has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls just in time for mistletoe season. Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package, plus Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner, and Ultra Premium Deodorant. It's the best way to smell fresh, from your Santa hat to your candy cane. 
The Lawn Mower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate presence. Plus, both are waterproof, so there's no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway. Now that you've groomed your candy cane, it's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer, the Platinum Package Shower Products. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code FIRST18 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code FIRST18. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. Ready for the holidays. That's right. If you want to support the show, obviously like, share, subscribe. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, by the way. We're closing in on 1,000 subs on YouTube and then it unlocks monetization. And I think we can start to add chapters to our, our videos that we post as well. So support the show. Do all of the above. Jackson... We've got to talk about the Jays, which we, we've barely done. We ran some clips earlier, again, on the YouTube show of, of Tatum's amazing second quarter. I mean, are there any new takeaways regarding the Jays from this one? Or is it just both of them giving the game what it needs, you know, filling their lane as we expect them to? Um, yeah. I mean, did we learn anything about the Jays in this one? Um- I, I haven't learned anything other than that they're awesome and they're going to continue to remain <laughs> awesome. Like that's yeah. a that's a, that's a, uh, an amazing insight that I'm offering on this podcast here. But <laughs> let's just say go back to we'll go and say, say the Pacers game, the second half of the Pacers game, um, because we played some really well in that. I think I, th- I think on, on the season, I think what Tatum's averaging 31, Brown 27. So what's that? 58. I'd say without looking at it, I'd imagine they've averaged something close to 70 the last, what, four games, five, mm-hmm. five games. Um, and that's just absurd. You know, it's all well and good that, you know, just those, those points alone from those players aren't going to win you the game. But, you know, the, the scoring's been there. The playmaking has been there, particularly from, from Tatum. The rebounding has been there. The, the defense has been there. Like, um, I'm just I'm getting used to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is like it, we, if we had these kind of performances in any sort of consistency, like two, three years ago, like we'd all be losing our minds because it's exactly what we were were hoping and wanting these guys to turn into. And now we're getting it like fairly regularly. And you know, our our biggest problem, you know, with these guys is you know maybe things that they say on Twitter or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this, even that's this, calmed all- down. Yeah, it's gone away, and like, it, it, and I think winning probably plays a big part in all of that. But yeah, man, they just they just continue to be awesome. Um, and uh, I was I just I just learned that 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 they're not giving that away anytime soon. So Luca Doncic scored sixty points, what twenty something boards, ten assists the other day. Would you okay, rather yeah. have one of those guys, like an all time dude, or? Looking back to the Rockets game, two elite two-way wings who are essentially scoring in, in that particular game, you know, forty points together in the same game. What's what's yeah. better for winning championships? Might be a bias take, Ben, but I'm having the two elite wins. <laughs> the two I'm elite asking wings the wrong guy. <laughs> no, well, I mean, you, if you want to look at their like playoff resume for one, that's fine. You want to look at, um, I don't know, just the fact that there's two of them. You know, I if in a, in a there was a while where if you said to me, like, I will we'll swap Luka Doncic for Jason Tatum straight up, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. No worries mm-hmm. at all. And, you know, any other neutral might think that it's dumb to say no to that now. But I, I, just, I just don't think the golfing class, the golfing excellence is that 
vast between Doncic and Tatum. So if you're giving me the choice between those two, I'm probably going to say no to Doncic. And if you're going to give me another all-star caliber wing player with great chemistry, um, the, with the playoff resume that they've got, I mean, of course, I'm I'm taking I'm keeping the two uh, you know elite wings, man. What yeah. would, would you do otherwise? Well, no, I'm always trying to be wary of my own inherent bias towards the Celtics. Uh, as Jake drives in, how dare you? Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously Doncic is the the best of the three players, but to have the two, the two elite defensive two way wings, like we said, who can get it done on both ends, who can take turns, you know, uh, punching back at teams at different junctures throughout the game. We saw it in this very game against the Clippers, Tatum, crazy aggressive, crazy efficient in the second quarter. And then Jalen came out again early in the fourth quarter, which, by the way, is becoming a thing. Aggressive yeah. early fourth quarter Jalen Brown that just kind of sets the tone for not only the beginning of the fourth quarter, but the end of the game as far as the Celtics running away with it and winning, which he did again in this game. To me, that's better for longevity. That's better for winning. And that's certainly more schemable offensively in the postseason than just spamming Luka Doncic, who, you know, is an all-time player, already seems like a lock for the, the Hall of Fame. I'm not taking away from Luca's achievements, but as far as like what you need in your toolkit to win a championship, it seems like the Jays uh, are, are more favorable in that sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, probably, it's probably a sure thing, like Luca will eventually get one, but if you just look at it like it's some sort of like, you know, imaginary race, then Tatum and Brown are way closer to doing it now than, than Luca is. I think- I think Luca either needs to transcend another level if he's going to carry that Mavs team with him. Otherwise, if it becomes a question of duos, it's going to be Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum against Luka Doncic and Spencer Dinwiddie. You know what I mean? Even even Jokic and Murray uh, compared to Tatum and Brown, I don't think is a context at all. A contest at all. Even if Jokic is you know the better of all the players mentioned there, so the one-two punch of of them and not just Tatum's, let alone Brown's quality individually. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not messing with any of that. Just very quickly, we talked off-air, Jackson, prior to this one. Surely we'll keep it to 30 minutes. There's one game to talk about. There's there's very little going on. It's a Christmas break. We're going to have a nice, short, succinct podcast. Here we are, 38 minutes in, and we've still got a few things to get to. Just gushing uncontrollably. Yeah, well, let me gush a little bit more. The the JB, the Jalen Brown connection with Marcus Smart, I think has to be highlighted because that is now a trend along with like JB's punch early in the fourth quarter. Those guys are connected on a plane that I don't think is comprehensible by a normal human being. They're on an elevated mm. consciousness together. And there's so many good connections in transition. Even in the half court, just it's they're like two limbs connected to the same body as far as the timing of Jalen's cuts and the subsequent timing of Marcus Smart's passing. It's a beautiful thing. It kind of seems to have come from nowhere in one sense, Jackson, in that these guys have been, you know, they've been playing together for a long time, and yet this has kind of only reared its head recently. Are you? You're probably more intelligent than me, Jackson. Have you seen this coming for a while, or like has this has this been a sudden occurrence for you? No, it, I mean, it, it's. I don't think there were any, you know, indicators that we were going to get this level of a connection and this much productivity from them at this juncture in time. But I mean, if you just think about the time that they've spent, you know, playing basketball together and everything that they've been through, you know, throughout their careers, let alone the last couple of seasons, um, you know, I think that probably the turning point for the three of them was when, you know, there was no more Kyrie, there was no more Kemba. It was just 
those it was it was those three essentially. Everyone viewed them as you know as the leaders of the team, even if Smart wasn't on the same sort of you know star level as as the Jays. But um, man, Smart's been like in touch. But I feel like I feel like he's in tune with everyone on this team. But you know this this newly found connection with Jalen Brown. Maybe they feel like they need to you know work on their connections you know together because you know JT is just going to do JT MVP caliber things and. And then, you know, he doesn't really need anyone's help, which is not true. But for the sake of the argument, yeah, maybe they've just decided, hey, you and you and mine have to <laughs> have to make, have to wrestle some control back from from jail from Jason Tatum here. Yeah, we're so lucky as fans to see just these the continued evolution of uh, the dynamic between those three. Uh, we can basically call them a big three, right? The Jays and Marcus Smart, at least as far as like, oh, what they mean my mind, to each a big other three for sure. Yeah. yeah, and the fact that that evolution is still gifting us these new elements, these new things, even though they've been together for so long, the tenure is so um, long, like we're, they're still delivering new little facets for us to, to pick apart and analyze, which is really good. Uh, just quickly before we move on to, to Grant Williams, Tatum passed Antoine Walker for second most three-pointers made uh, for a Celtic ever, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Grant Williams, Jackson, was involved in two of probably the most hectic possessions uh, of this game. I want to run the first one for you here uh, very quickly. George. Yeah, this is a thing of beauty. This is insane. Not just Grant, but everyone crashing the glass. Look at that. included. <laughs> Somehow keeps control of it. And then he was so due. Yeah. Old Sammy H. Yeah. First of the floor, Grant Williams. Yeah, looks like he felt it too. I think he was just yeah. fixing his jersey, but it looked like he was he was nursing his um his area. You know, uh, he might have landed poorly uh, on that one. And then yeah. uh, again, Grant Williams. This is a tweet from Chris Forsberg. Elite with the kill the clock inbounds. Look at this. Let me full screen this for you, Jackson. Look at this. I don't know what this replay is going to be. So Grant Williams taking the ball inbounds, and this is a trend for the Celtics so far. Look at this, just dead ball immediately as he rolls it out into the court. We've got two guys standing here, smart, Grant Williams, hands on hips, little off-ball screen there from Grant, and just at that point of the game, you know, we were sort of criticizing them earlier, Jackson, about running the clock down and going away from what made them so effective uh, early on, uh, and yet that's just an elite move in a modern you know, style of basketball from Grant Williams. I'm giving him the award for being responsible for the most, the two most hectic possessions of the game. <laughs> Any <laughs> thoughts on either that, of them? No, I, I I agree with those awards. That that play that where you just drop the ball and you let the clock tick down and they don't pick it up. That's that's the that's the ghost of Dennis Schroeder. Yes, that's Dennis you. Schroeder's legacy on this team. You know, he may you may feel like he didn't contribute anything to this team. In fact, he was quite the detriment to the team. He'd probably be right, but that right there, I guarantee you, no one's thinking of that until they see his, you know. <laughs> what he was doing with the ball to start last season. Like, you know what? We can we can do this a little bit better. And uh, it didn't get us a bucket there, but I think there was a bucket. There was a game earlier this year where they just, it worked like a treat. The point guard came out, you picked it up, just ran right past him and you had more, you had you had the, the advantage with the numbers and it was like a layup. So um, yeah, Grant did really well there. <laughs> In summary. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, a, a lazy Christmas time, New Year's time podcast uh, for you folks. So um, we're going to wrap this one up. <laughs> Certainly for me, very little preparation. <laughs> and honestly, like very a lot of difficulty even just watching the game, given like the, the proximity to family and my two-year-old and stuff. So we're doing what we can during these, these crazy times. Well, obviously, we're going to pick it up a little more 
as the new year begins. Finally, to wrap this one up, Jackson, there's a four-game road trip coming up, and that's beginning with game two of the Denver Cup against those pesky <laughs> Denver Nuggets who have won four of their last five. They're 22-12, and 12, currently second in the East after dropping a game to the Kings recently. I was actually hanging out with my mate Dice. If you've been listening to this podcast for long enough, you know that there's a a little rivalry of, of mutual annoyance for one another's team between me and my mate Dice. He's a huge Nuggets fan, an even bigger Jokic fan. And I have to hear it from him every time the Nuggets and or Jokic perform well. So anytime we come up against the Nuggets, it's, uh, it's particularly disconcerting because I don't want to be on the losing end of that battle of, of mutual annoyance. And yet, when we were hanging out the other day, we were watching the Nuggets-Kings game on his phone and the Kings came away with the, wing, uh, the win, rather, much to my delight. Jokic, he's playing at an all-time level, not just uh, you know a great level for the season or for an individual player in their you know isolated career. He's literally playing at an all-time level. Um, mm. In the last five games, twenty-nine points per game, sixty-one percent from the floor, thirty-eight percent from three, ten point four boards, eleven point two assists, one point two steals, a plus nine. Meanwhile, we've got. Batman, the antidote to the Joker. We've got Time Lord, who's <laughs> back, who wasn't with us for that first part of the Denver Cup. Um, how do you think this is going to play out, Jackson? We've had Denver's number, man, for at least a couple of years. You've got to be more as acutely aware of this as anybody else. But the Nuggets haven't beaten us for, what, three three years, I think? Yeah. yeah it's been good. It's been a good run for the Denver Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you, you, you might say that they're due, but I mean- no, um, obviously Jokic is, is is an incredible player and he's going to, you know, stuff the stat sheet, um, you know, most likely. But it's a game that doesn't bother me, you know, that much because I've seen plenty of times that we're able to, you know, nullify, you know, this team. Maybe not like this specific team in this current form with Jamal Murray getting back to, to fitness and whatnot. But, I mean, this is a game that I think is going to be, you know, it's going to be tight like the, the Clippers game we just had here. But I just feel like we've got Denver's number, man. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be as, as worried about the result as I think you will be. And I'll ask you the same question that I'm sure they're asking in the locker room prior to the game from the Nuggets perspective. Who's defending the Jays? Because it it's yeah. not Michael Porter Jr. He's not defending anyone. He's a terrible defender. So who's defending no. the Jays? I mean, they've got like, some wings you can throw at them, like what, KCP, Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown, yeah. Um, Aaron Gordon, I guess, could probably try and outmuscle, you know, uh, Jason Tatum, but Tatum's going to get past him one or another. He can try dunking over him, I guess. He's got a, Tatum's got a bit more height than Landry Shamit, Um, but, you know, <laughs> he, he could try and go over the top. But now, look, man, I think it's going to be a super fun game. Um, and I think starting a road trip off with a win is, is very important. You don't kind of want to be like, you know, playing behind the eight ball here. So, you know, I think and to beat the, the what is, you know, seems to be the consensus MVP leader right now um, is just going to be another another strength for this team to to overcome, to, to get. Yeah, we know Jason Tatum gets up for these MVP battles. So that's in our favor. And I also mm. think this is close enough to the last road trip that there must be some sense of motivation from our guys not wanting to allow this road trip to go the way of the previous one in terms of it falling way below expectations so and again like you mentioned the um the winning record against the denver nuggets in really the past decade decade or so much to to my delight jackson anything on anything we've discussed so far in this pod that you want to touch on or anything else before we wrap this one up 
Just briefly, I was thinking before we started, man, like if you said that like a seven game home stretch where we're going to go four and three, you'd probably think to yourself, oh man, that's a little bit, that's a little bit crap considering, you know, um, how good we had been and, you know, the the way that the West trip, the last one ended up a little bit dicey. So, if you said four and three, you'd think that you were on a little bit of a slide and, you know, you were right, obviously, you know, dropping back to back against the Magic, I think is still this bad feeling that's going to haunt us in terms of the seeding at the end of the end of the year. Um, and the first half that we put up against the Pacers was just a joke. But, you know, just since then, it's like we flipped a switch. We almost flipped a switch because that Timberwolves game was really bad in <laughs> the fourth quarter as well. But yeah. it, we more or less flipped a switch and we got, we got everything back together. So despite only going four and three in a seven-game homestand, the, the back part of it, I think, was so vital and has given us so much momentum that it wouldn't surprise me if we got through this, this West trip, you know, three and one or even better, to be honest. Yeah, I'm feeling the same way. And I think now in hindsight, we can throw in, there's some degree of having to reintegrate Time Lord that we can maybe attribute to the slow start to the, the front end of, the, of that homestand as well. At least that's how I'm going to sleep at night. So we'll see. We'll certainly yeah. see in this upcoming <laughs> four game road trip. That's going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back early next week to recap the result of the aforementioned Denver Cup. In the meantime, leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Be a friend and support the show. Jackson, love your work, mate. Thanks again. Likewise, Ben. Thank you. All right. Until next time, go Celtics. See ya. See ya.